Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is the road to the ION Conference. This is an awesome opportunity in which we are getting a chance to partner with ION, the International Orality Network. And today, we have a special guest, the North American Regional Director, Jerry Wiles, who is with us. This is going to be a great conversation. Jerry, are you on the line? I am. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. And Bernard is here. Bernard. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, what's going on? Jerry, thank you so much for your time. How are you? I am doing well, thank you. Yes, and what time is it where you are at? Well, in, uh, in Houston, Texas, it's now 8.46, looks like. I have about three timepieces in front of me, so I go with the one that's the earliest. <laughs> 8.46. Thank you so much for waking up. Are you sipping on some coffee right now? I've been awake for a while. I've already had my limit of coffee, and so I'm, I'm drinking water now. You're good to go. You are good, good to go. go. <laughs> That's great. And so you are the North American Regional Director. How long have you been in this role? Almost three years, but I have a longer history with the International Orality Network. I was invited to be a part of the Advisory Council back about 10 years ago when Dr. Avery Willis, who was the founder and first executive director, was on the leadership. Okay. And then Samuel Chang invited me to be a part of the Orality Training Task Force, and uh, we created the Global Orality Training Alliance. And then later, I became a part of the executive team, the global executive team. So I've had several different uh, levels of leadership over the years. Okay, great, great. You are the man to talk to. We are excited for this conversation. I just tell people when you have 30 years, even if you're a slow learner, you can learn a lot in 30 years. So I was, <laughs> in, I was introduced to orality and oral concepts, oral people groups back in the 80s through a book called Oral Communication of the Scriptures, Insights into African Oral Art. It was a doctoral dissertation published in 1982. Uh, the author is Herbert Clem, is a veteran missionary. So that, that book introduced me to the concepts of orality and about oral cultures, oral learners, and all this. So my journey started back in those days. Great. You know what? For our listeners, how would you define orality? What is orality? And why is it important for us to consider in today's present society and culture? Yes, that's a great question because it is a new term to many people. Actually, the, the pure definition of orality relates to a reliance upon spoken or non-written communication. But we know that now the depth and breadth of the movement is much broader and has to do with many different aspects of communication, learning, behavior change, transmission of messages, and of course, worldview and culture, lots of different aspects to it now that we're digging into and getting exposed to the different academic disciplines related to the whole orality domain. Okay. I have a random question. Is semiotics related to orality? I think probably so. Some now are using the term oral art forms. So when we get into relating to the artistic expression and oral art forms, things like song and dance and drama, poetry, proverbs, parables, and then, of course, without getting into all the technology and modern digital methods of communication, radio and TV and cell phones, all that kind of thing, satellite communications. But then the most basic ancient understanding of the ways that people have learned and communicated from the beginning of time, which could include performance, visual arts, relational arts. There are many different aspects to that. So we're 
learning on the journey and for the past decade with my work with Living Water International, we created what we call an introduction to contextual Bible storying. So Bible storying or storytelling is probably the most popular and the most widely used method of oral communication. So telling stories, asking questions, but the understanding of relational communal oral cultures and the way they work in the global South and the way that we in the global North can learn from those ways. And of course, getting back to the early church, you know, how the gospel spread throughout the whole populated world in the first century before we had radio and TV. What we learn from the life and the spirit and the teachings of Jesus. And then, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit. So there's many aspects. And in the academic disciplines like narratology, communitarianism, epistemology, cultural missiology, you know, of course, obviously theology, psychology, and sociology. Once we start having these conversations with scholars, researchers, practitioners, and trainers, people have been on this journey, it's just becoming a richer, fuller movement. And now we're getting more into what we call orality, missiology. So sometimes if I'm flying someplace, I'm on a plane, someone asks me what I do, or, you know, I say I'm an orality missiologist. Of course, nobody knows what that means, but it opens <laughs> up a conversation. <laughs> you have to define both those terms in some context. But in the mission world, of course, people understand about orality now more and more, but missiology and, of course, just practical theology. What's it? Sure. Have a relationship with the living God and become a reproducing follower of Jesus. And how can we best do that? That is transferable, it's cross cultural, and reproducible to the least and last unreached people group. So when we get into those conversations, that's, that's amazing because. Many mission executives and leaders and mission professors that I have conversations with, and I ask a few of these questions, and they often will say, well, I've never thought about that. Nobody's ever asked me those questions. And so my, <laughs> my silent response is, well, maybe we should be asking those questions. Maybe we should be thinking about that. Right, right. I think this is a perfect way to segue into ION and talking about the International Orality Network in which you are a part of. You are the North American Regional Director. Can you share with us a little bit about ION's vision and mission? Yes, we're about equipping people to be effective in, uh, well, the mission statement on our business card is influencing the body of Christ to encourage all oral communicators to follow Jesus. The mission statement for that was equipping the church to make disciples of all oral learners. So the terminology of oral learners, oral communicators, oral cultures. And of course, now we use the term oral preference learners or oral preference communicators, which the majority of the people of the world would be oral learners by necessity or by preference. So it doesn't have to do with whether a person can read or not, whether they have access to scripture or not. That's the most important part is the Bibleist people and the oral cultures. But there are many people who are well-educated, they can read, but they have a preference in terms of oral communication, uh, personal conversations, rather than looking at a book or a, a website or a computer screen. So when you get into that, uh, many well-educated people are oral preference learners. I have a friend who says everyone has a longing for belonging. So the aspect of community and relationships, and the way we get to know people in a deeper way. So the orality training that we do provides a way for people to learn and communicate, build relationships on a heart level. 
that many times you can go to a church for a long time and never really have intimate relationships. So relationships and community is a very important part of what we're doing. And that's important everywhere, not just for, you know, the foreign mission field, but right in our midst in North America. So that being said, the Amsterdam 2000 was a gathering that Billy Graham was on people put together for uh, itinerant evangelists from all over the world. And at that meeting, some mission leaders got together discussing oral learners and reaching the oral cultures. And they formed the Oral Bible Task Force, which in uh, 2004 or five became the International Orality Network with 30 organizations. Now it's grown to be more than 2,000 organizations. So now with the journey, the global community of learning and practice, we know so much more now and we continue to cross-pollinate and learn from each other and everyone benefits from that. And so anyway, when we think about What's it going to take to complete the Great Commission? Mm. Still several hundred language groups that have no Bible, several hundred that have even portions of Scripture, but they're still oral preference learners. And then we understand better. It's not just a matter of reading, writing, academic or superior or inferior intelligence. It's about culture, worldview. And there are so many other aspects now that we understand better than we did just a few years ago. I'm kind of curious. You had mentioned that part of what the ION community does is equipping churches and communities. So could you describe a little bit like what what does that equipping look like? Well, what we've done over the years is pollinated and gleaned from uh, several different models and different streams within the movement. And we've created um, an introduction, at least I'm speaking from Living Water International. About 10 years ago, we started doing an introduction to contextual Bible storing. So it's a pollinating from chronological Bible storing, aspects from relational Bible storing, thematic Bible storing, topical Bible storing, different aspects of that. So this is just a sample. We call it an easy on-ramp or a low-barrier entry to the orality movement to get people on the journey. So we... We focus on, we have a five-story set, and with the pre- and post-story discussion and dialogue about the five stories, we can give a community or a, a village or a tribal group a simple, systematic narrative, theology of the most important things they need to know to begin a relationship with the living God and to become a reproducing follower of Jesus, requiring yes. no leader, no technology. So when we ask those questions and we focus on that, we... We focus on learn a little, practice a lot, implement immediately, tell the stories often. So with the adequate repetition and then the communal learning experience, you have the collective memory of the group. So we train teams to train as teams. So we've seen this reproduce and spread in amazing ways. And I think on the journey, we're going to be better equipped to do monitoring and evaluation, give documented demonstrated evidence of how it's working. And this is overwhelming evidence and people are, it's a compelling story when we get our minds around the big picture of what's happening in this arena. That's awesome. That's great to hear all the things that you guys are celebrating and the ways in which engaging in this way is helping people to know Christ even more. And I have to ask, what are some of the challenges you guys have faced as you guys continue on this mission? Well, it's interesting because the big challenge is change. You know, change is hard for a lot of people. And when you introduce something new and different, uh, for example, a seminary trained pastor in the United States, this is so far out of his box. It's out of his mental model. 
because he's got a good education. He may have some degree of success, but he's he's thinking in terms of a post-Reformation, modern, Western, text-based way um, of thinking about instruction and communication, preaching, lecturing, you know, of education, all that. So it takes a little bit of time for people to get their minds around it. That's easier for people under trees in West Africa who've never seen a Bible <laughs> to get their minds around this because they're oral cultures. You don't have to explain to them how oral cultures work. They're story-based. I mean, they use stories. They use narratives. And they have a community of learning that's been passed on from generation right. to generation. So we're just giving them better stories. We're giving them biblical stories. And they're taking it and they, they go with it. So in the United States, we do this in churches in the United States, and we've done it on seminary campuses, university campuses, under trees in remote villages. So in the United States, and we're about to see more happening in Canada, but I'm sure there's some of this going on in Canada that we don't know about. In the North American context, pastors and mission leaders get interested because they're going on short-term mission trips. And so they want to know about storytelling and morality. So, But once they go through the training, they find that it works here, too. So they find applications. So we have some good examples of churches that are using orality, not with their, not only with their mission trips to Asia and Africa and Latin America, but also and even training pastors in Southeast Asia. But also reaching international students, which we understand the cultural and worldview issues and language issues, and then also with uh, – planting churches in prisons, reaching refugee populations. There's a group in, in, in Houston reaching uh, Bhutanese refugees. So, but there's refugees, there's an immigrant population, there are people who are multicultural, multi-ethnic communities. So the orality concepts and principles uh, work everywhere. I think that's a lot to digest. That's a lot of fascinating observations you have noticed and, you know, I want to kind of segue a little bit into talking about the theme for the conference that's coming up in October, which is the North American Regional Conference. And this is going to be in Toronto, happening at North York Chinese Baptist Church. Jerry's going to be there, so make sure you go and talk to Jerry. And Bernard and I are going to be there on different days as well, so please come and find us. But we want to talk a little bit about the theme, which is embodying Jesus in a post textual society. Mm -hmm. And this kind of wrapped up around one word for all. And I was wondering if you could just comment on your observations on what you see in North American culture and how people engage with their faith and engage in community. Because I'm wondering, is there this shift over to an oral preference? I mean, with the popularity of podcasts, with watching YouTube clips, with, yeah. with getting sound bites. Are we moving more toward an oral preference? Well, I think absolutely we are. And I mean, there's plenty of evidence for that. So we like to talk about using the tools of the age and the tools of the ages. We don't want to neglect the most effective ways that people have learned and communicated from the beginning of time, but also taking advantage of the tools and technology that we have today that, that wasn't around 100 years ago. Some of it even 10 years ago was not. So using all those methods. And I'm, I'm very mm. much on board with using media, digital resources, and all the technological resources that we have available to us today. But I think we should really be uh, diligent to not become technology dependent or even text-based dependent. Let's okay. focus on the incarnational part. So when we talk about one word for all, we, we're talking about 
the one message, the grand story, the meta story. It's the whole counsel of God. So the one word, that's the whole counsel of God, the whole gospel for the whole world. I mean, it's for everyone everywhere. So we have to think about how do most people receive process. So we say it's not enough to proclaim the gospel. People need to hear it and understand it, be able to respond to it, process it, usually in community, remember it and pass it on to reproduce it. So when we get into the, to that reproducibility part, if it's going to be reproducible to the least and last unreached, unengaged people groups, and those are right around us. I mean, the unreached people we, we cross paths with every day at the shopping mall or the, the doctor's office or the university. And we, we have these opportunities with our families, neighbors, coworkers, and friends. My pastor says we need to focus on our neighbors, our networks, and the nations. Of course, the networks is just our relational <laughs> uh, traffic patterns that we're you know, in on a daily basis. So that being said, I think the answer is yes, but uh, also just getting a, a bigger, a broader understanding of all the different implications and, and applications of the concepts and principles and practices of orality. So we have to people get people to understand it's, it's bigger than just storytelling. It's bigger than just using recording devices. And so some people have some exposure, limited exposure, and then when you hear about orality, they think, oh, that's XYZ recording device or a fixed tune radio or that's whatever. Or they think about chronological Bible storying, which is the most commonly used, but that's just one small stream within the broad river, you might call it. (laughs) It is a river, the rivers of living water. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) As we're having this conversation, it's really bringing to mind a lot of the ways in which Jesus engaged with people. I mean, I don't remember reading in the New Testament, Jesus saying, hey, refer back to your Karl Barth dogma textbook and, you know, go study this such and such scroll. There was a lot of that interpersonal communication. It was an oral culture as well. He taught verbally. And he invited people into God's story. He invited the followers to be part of the kingdom. And that is something for us to consider, especially, you know, you mentioned it already about seminary trained pastors. And both Bernard and I have both been part of, you know, going through that system. And we learn through reading textbooks and we learn through writing papers. But that is, you know, a very select few people that learn in that way. And so yeah. how do we engage on mission yeah. as we consider the culture, as we consider how people learn and receive and how they can embody the gospel? Yes. That's an important question. And I often have to emphasize to people when I'm talking to, and, and people hear me talk or read my articles, and they think we're, we're minimizing the importance of the written text, which we're not at all. We're all on board with using all means available. And when we think about the life of Jesus, he, he wrote in the sand, I think, one time. Yes. <laughs> we know he read from the scrolls. Uh, we have a record of that. And he, he sometimes said, it is written. You know, so he, he did know about the text. He did know about <laughs> the written document and the scripture. But he often said, it has been said. You know, and in the scripture throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see this, the word of the Lord, especially in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to you know, that wasn't a, a, a track distribution plan. That was a, 
a different kind of expression of the word. So when we think about the word, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. So the word of God in most places in scripture is not talking about a written document. And when it's talking about a written document, it usually says the scripture. But in many cases, the the laws, the precepts, the instruction were passed on by oral methods. But the book of Psalm, for example, which is a songbook, it's poetry. It was actually, historians say that at that time, when the book of Psalms was written, of course, it's over several hundred years, but uh, only a small percentage of the people would have gotten the message by written or reading it. They would have heard it either in poetry or song or some other oral expression. So there, there are many, and of course, the Proverbs. The Proverbs is a good example of, of oral methods, oral learner-friendly methods of communicating. You know, thank you so much for sharing that. That's a great way to take those next steps is to consider all different ways in which we are learning and which we are engaged in which we share the story. Just as a thought to interject with, with that idea is that now we know and we've identified practitioners and scholars and people who've done extensive work in these areas. So that we have a friend who's done extensive work in the area of the use of Proverbs. So using village proverbs and using proverbs from the Bible, but just a specialty that he has in that area. So there are those who have academic training and scholarly resources with all these different areas. Once you put them together, we have just got an amazing body of information that's going to be so helpful to everyone that get, gets interested. Mm. I was just going to say, I think one of the key terms that as I'm listening to this discussion is contacts because like every every culture every neighborhood uh, every community has a specific context and as we describe orality and this is the different ways of communications the different stories like it's it's so contextual it's so specific yes it's learning how to contextualize what that looks like in that specific community i think that's that's like that's so significant it's so real for us here in North America too, because like different states, different cities, so different. And yeah. there's different stories that are unfolding. Even in one city like Toronto or Houston, it's so ethnically diverse in terms of language and culture and worldview. So mm-hmm. topic of contextualization, which uh, some people still are afraid of that topic because they think you're compromising the gospel. <laughs> But the context, just making it appropriate to the, the receptor culture. And then the whole area of uh, cultural value systems, understanding about honor, shame, guilt, innocence, fear, power, all that. So that's a part of the a major part of that movement that's been for several years now is the honor, shame issues. Yeah, I think especially in the Asian context, which Bernard and I and our other fellow co-hosts are often in, honor and shame is a huge factor in how it has shaped a people group and how it has shaped communities and thinking about how is the gospel good news and how is it proclaimed and received and embodied to be good news in those communities mm-hmm. is the process of contextualization. It's not necessarily saying, oh, we're only going to focus on this aspect of the gospel, but the gospel is good news, especially for something that has been such a big part of shaping people. And yeah. so, you know, I, I'm really glad that we have 
this opportunity in which we can kind of be stretched and engaged in this way. And I just want to follow up. As people get connected to ION and as people attend conferences like the one coming up in October, what do you hope people will take away? And what kind of shifts do you hope to see as people start living and proclaiming the gospel on mission? Well, I think the people that come to Toronto for the October 3rd through the 5th conference, I think they'll be exposed to enough of a variety of the movement. They will connect with some aspect that they will be able to use something immediately. So I've had people come to our trainings, different conferences, and they go away saying, I've never been to a conference where I learned something that I could use immediately. So I think when we talk about learn a little, practice a lot, implement immediately, it's going to be very interactive. It's going to be a lot of opportunity for participation and networking and learning. There'll be some relationships developed. There'll be some partnerships that will be ongoing. We'll learn who we can learn from, but also different aspects like uh, integral mission, which is a big thing for us in Living Water International, a, a number of movements around integral mission. So the importance of demonstration and proclamation, word and deed, a balance. So for many years, there's the uh, divide between the social gospel and the, you know, the proclamation. But we need to bring those together. We need to realize, and of course, I think our theme reflects that, you know, the incarnational witness, but also, so it's not about just a proclamation, or it's not just about doing good things. It's about an integrated approach of, of sharing the gospel, letting people, it's show and tell. People need to see it, they need to hear it, and understand it. So there's so many things I think that's going to be valuable, and I think it'll be a life-changing experience for many people there. And it'll be reproduced. I mean, people are going to hear something, they're going to learn something, they're going to go back with some passion and excitement and some resources to introduce to their pastors, their mission leaders, their church leaders, Sunday school teachers, uh, educators, and different, you know, everyone can benefit. I love the way you say it, learn a little, practice a lot. And hopefully in any conference, in even the, the, the context of the church, as we're learning, we are actually pushed to practice even more. You know, I'm excited for this time, and uh, I'm, I'm so thankful that, you know, we do have this opportunity. And actually, as we wrap up today, could you tell us a little bit about the work of Living Water International, in which you are also President Emeritus of? And you've mentioned it a couple times already in this interview. What is Living Water International? Well, we actually do water solutions. Some people use Living Water, you know, it's a Bible teaching, but we actually drill water wells, we train nationals to construct and maintain water systems. So we're bringing clean, safe drinking water along with sanitation services and hygiene training, but it's an integrated approach where we deal with the physical and the spiritual. So we're about community development, we're about public health. So in the water sector now, there's something called WASH. It's water access, sanitation, and hygiene. So hygiene education. So when you put those together, bring people you know, there's still a few hundred million people without access to clean, safe drinking water. So the people who are without access to clean, safe drinking water have also had the least access to the gospel and educational services. And so we're meeting the neediest people on the planet physically and spiritually. So when we bring clean water and the living water of Jesus, so it is transformational. And, and so we're, we're on a good journey. We've been doing this uh, since 1990. I, I've been involved and associated with them from the beginning. I was in the academic world for a number of years with Houston Baptist University and then became president of Living Water International in 2003. And I've been on this journey 
these years, and I'm still involved as a part-time consulting arrangement. I still have an office there, but most of my time is devoted to writing, speaking, and, and dealing with the orality aspects and, and my responsibilities with ION. So Living Water, I think, has become, by anyone's estimation, one of the premier Great Commission Water Solutions organizations. So we work with a number of other networks and alliances and global mission structures around the world. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Jerry, for your time and for connecting with us from Houston. <laughs> we look forward to getting a chance to hang out with you and get to know you a bit more. And I'm sure those who are going to be attending the conference are going to be looking forward to that as well and to hearing from you. Thank you so much for your time. Well, I just have one closing comment in relation to what you just quoted from quoting me to you know, learn a little, practice a lot, implement immediately. We go on to say, tell the stories often. So we say it's better to, to know a little that you tell to a lot of people than to know a lot that you keep to yourself. And I do have a friend who always gives a parting statement by saying, keep the faith, just don't keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. That is one great thing to leave with our listeners as we end off with this episode. So thank you so much once again for Thanks, your time. Jerry. We're going to have a great time in October together. Okay, I look forward to it. Thank you so much. All right. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast today. It's going to be a fantastic time in October, so we hope to see you there, and we hope that we're going to have some great conversations and how God will use that to push us to practice and live out the gospel. If you have not done so already, please remember to rate and review and subscribe to our podcast. Share it with others so we can continue to engage in this conversation. Let us know what you think. You can connect with us through Instagram, through Facebook, through Twitter, or by email. We'd love to hear from you. Once again, you've been listening to Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.